0: Welcome everyone to the first episodes of VegMont, which is a series with the Holistic Pilgrimage podcast devoted to vegetarian, vegan, and raw food people, places, and things in Vermont. I plan to interview local folks and experts living a plant-based lifestyle, as well as business owners of local restaurants, shops, and farms. There is a particular emphasis in this podcast on nutrient-dense, minimally processed raw and cooked vegan whole foods and herbs also all kinds of eaters are welcome here to listen and learn whether you eat meat or not most of you all know that incorporating more fruits vegetables nuts seeds and legumes are beneficial to your health and so let this be a resource open for all people to gain knowledge thank you and i hope you enjoy I must say, I am in love with Ethiopian food ever since I first had it when I was living in Montclair, New Jersey and would walk down the street to Misab, an Ethiopian restaurant there. I used to sit in the late afternoon each week and enjoy a nice dinner. Back then, I had just transitioned to being vegan, and I was able to go to the restaurant and order a vegetable sampler platter that was completely vegan. Since discovering Ethiopian food, I've enjoyed it at a few different places in New York City, as well as the Blue Nile up in Montreal, and when I moved up to Vermont, I was sad at the thought of not being able to have Ethiopian food. However, through some internet searching, I found out that Alganesh and Mulu, who are from Eritrea, just north of Ethiopia, who are often have Ethiopian dinner nights and cook for over 200 people at Arts Riot in Burlington. I was able to be at their dinner just recently at Arts Riot as well as an Ethiopian cooking class taught also in Burlington. Today I'm talking with Alganesh Michael all about the wonderful Ethiopian food that she shares with Vermont. Welcome Alganesh. Thank you. How did you get started hosting these Ethiopian dinners in Burlington?
1: Well, if I may say, uh, Ethiopian as well as Eritrean. I just wanted to be clear in that. We do share the same culture, food, even though they are two different countries. No, but uh, we started. My friend Mulu and I. This hosting for 200 plus people in uh, local restaurants. Riot, was back in 2014. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was two years ago. This last February. But back then they had this collective kitchen idea of different chef cooking uh, different cuisines once once a week uh, basis. We um, approached Afriat with my. Uh, good friend in town here, John Shannon. Uh, she is the Burlington City Council. We approached our triad and really through her, they, they, they didn't know us and I don't think they knew what Ethiopian and Eritrean food was. But through this uh, John, my good friend, we asked them and they took us on a Sunday back in February 2014. That's when we started it and our grand opening, we had over 200. It was a gut-seeking because myself and My friend Mulu never cooked for that many people. It was really courageous of us to go ahead and do it. It turned out to be beautiful. We were very happy. Our customers were happy as well. So that's how we started it.
0: And so that evening that you first hosted the event, what was it like to cook for all of those people? Was it crazy in the kitchen?
1: It was nerve wracking because I think the biggest hassle we had was not knowing how much food to buy and how much, you know, to cook. And nowadays we have a reservation only, so you know how much to buy and how much to prepare. Back, But back then it was whoever comes we take in and we didn't know we were going to have that many people. So the hard thing was not knowing how much to prepare. But we did it. (laughs) Thinking about that now, it just was a gutsy thing that we we did it. But we were lucky, I guess. <laughs> we did it, and we were we were happy that we did it without turning anyone away. We had enough, enough food.
0: There may be people out there who have never experienced eating Ethiopian food. It is quite a unique experience for many Americans who don't have an Ethiopian background. Could you describe what Ethiopian food is like and how it might be different than how typical meals are served?
1: I can describe Ethiopian and Eritrean food being spicy, flavorful, at the same time unique. And I say unique because we use this bread called injera. Injera is um, a sourdough, like a spongy, maybe like a pancake bread made out of few flour, you know, you mix few flours, you um, let it ferment for days and then you bake it and depending, you know, how you do it. Some people do it on the third day, some people do it on the second day. Um, it really depends on the person, but I like to leave it for three days and bake it. So that bread has a little sourdough taste and it's unique in that way, at the same time, the way we eat. It's a communal eating. You put the bread on a platter and then you cook different sauces, and you put the sauces on top of the injera. The bread is called injera. And uh, you take a piece of the injera and you roll the sauce with the injera and you eat it. So we use our fingers. uh, So that makes it unique as well. I don't know, you know, utensils are not used in our tradition. So I, you know, to go back, if I have to describe Eritrean and Ethiopian food, it's spicy, flavorful. At the same time, unique.
0: With the injera, what kinds of flowers do you put together?
1: If we were back where I came from, we use 100% of flour or grain grown back in Ethiopia. But back here, we use us, at the same time some other flowers like barley some people use wheat and some we use corn and uh, we use a little bit of self-rising the white flour as well so it's a mixture of three to four different flours. but like I said back in home back in Eritrea or Ethiopia we use 100% so it's different and the reason we do that is it's very hard to make um, injera with that 100% it's not reliable so when you're hosting a big number of people you want that reliability uh, so it turns out you know, when you add other flowers, it turns out you will know the injera will come out the way you want it most of the time, not all the time.
0: Oh, uh, so complete teff flour is hard to work with, you're saying?
1: Hard to work with, yes. If I may add, it's uh, very expensive as well. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: especially here in the U.S., right? Because back home, it would be grown locally.
1: You yeah, so there is no reliability, and it's expensive. So you really, it really doesn't work out here to make it 100% of. But, you know, mixing it up with other flowers, like I said, you know, when we do for the Arts Riot dinner, we put like 50% of the time we use f, and then the rest we added with two or three different flowers to make it really look nice, fluffy, and, you know, at the same time, tasteful too.
0: What I really enjoyed when I first ate the Ethiopian dishes like every week because I had gone vegan, and then I also noticed that I was having some issues with, with eating gluten, so I tried to remove gluten from my diet. What was great was the fact that the restaurant could make it all with teff and jira. Teff is gluten free, so it was nice to eat. I would see families bringing in children who had gluten uh, intolerances and things, um, and they were able to eat. And uh, you know, it, it's uh, very unique to have Ethiopian. Ethiopian food, but it reminds me in a way like pizza because pizza's round also and you eat with your fingers. So it's just it's just a little different. <laughs> <laughs>
1: we're having some you know customers call us uh, at our right when they want to come and they ask us if it is gluten free and that's the only thing that I feel bad is that it is not a hundred percent tough like you said if it was then it is gluten free and the new future we're hoping to have maybe just a few injera that is made from a hundred percent tough so that we can have our gluten free folks come and enjoy the, the cuisine with us but for right now what we're doing is we make rice and as you know, rice is gluten-free, so and and our dishes are gluten-free. So what we do is we give them rice. Some alternative. It's not really the traditional way, but you know, um, until we know how to do it right, this is what we've been doing for for the time being. Yeah, we're hoping to accommodate everybody in the near future.
0: And with the teff flour, it's wonderful now that some of the co-ops are carrying teff. Yes, people who are experimenting at home could try it.
1: It is um a little tricky, but, you know, with the experience and when you see it once and you do it, you try it a few times, you know, eh, anybody can do it, really. You just have to be persistent and uh, be patient because it's funny. <laughs> Making injera is, is a funny thing, you know, sometimes it comes right, sometimes it doesn't. So
0: And you said it's fermented, right?
1: It is fermented, yes. It, mm-hmm. is. it has to be fermented to have that sourdough taste.
0: You would roll it out and then you would let it ferment? Would you cover it at all?
1: Yes, you do, yeah. You would, um, what you would do is you have some starter left over from the time before. So I always keep a starter in a little container in a refrigerator. When I'm ready to make the flour, I get my starter. Um, I put my flour in a deep container like a dish maybe. I have a special container that I use specifically for that. You use a uh, look water. Cold water is not recommended because you want it to kind of ferment, not right away, but faster than if you had to put cold water. So you mix it uh, with a look water. So you leave it like a dough, maybe a little bit thinner than a dough, but not like a butter in the beginning. So what I do is I leave it covered and leave it in a room temperature for three days. And this, the third day is when I thin it out to make it like a butter so I can bake it and then... Uh, and then you bake it. And it's a long process because when we do it for our tribe, Mulu, my friend, would make 150 injera, and I make the same. So like 300 plus injera is what we make, and it takes forever because you, you're making it one at a time. I have a special pan uh, with a cover. So you would pour it, make it a circle, put the lid, and a minute later you open it, and then you take it out. To make 150 takes, I don't know, six to eight hours. It depends, you know, because sometimes you have to take a break. You you know, you take a break, you know, <laughs> and do something else because it's tedious job, you know. <laughs> but it's time consuming. When it comes out good, you know, you're, you're happy, you want to do it more, you know. But when it doesn't come out right is when you get really, you just want to put it off and put it off. But you really have to finish it, too.
0: <laughs> a lot of people in Vermont are interested in fermenting foods and the health benefits of f- fermentation. Do you think the fermenting of the TEF, is that healthy?
1: Helpful in digestion? Helpful in digestion? I don't know. Maybe, but I'm not sure. Um, it really depends um, if you're used to that. You know, my, my body system is used to that, so I'm not sure if it is better or not, though. You know, I really can't answer that. But um, it, it depends, I guess, if you're used to it or not. Yeah, I know there are some folks would like to do it overnight for injera. And when I eat that, I get bloated. So it could be the fermentation. It could also be the type of flour that they put to make the injera. I really can't answer that. but. Uh, uh,
0: so you're saying that if you don't let it ferment for a, a longer period of time, then you feel bloated if it's only been, you know, done overnight. Yes,
1: I do. Okay. I do. And um, it might not be just the overnight thing. It could be the flour. That they use. For instance, if you put a lot of self rising to make injera and you just do it overnight, I have a tendency to feel bloated. And my husband, the same thing. He does not like it and he actually doesn't eat it because he had a bad experience with that. So I like to use less self rising. I like to it, and I like the feeling that I get when I eat that. The same with my husband, by the way. So, uh, it, it, you know, it's different from person to person, I guess.
0: Yeah, it just reminds me, too, of how I would eat the Ethiopian food I would be like you know pretty hungry going in the restaurant to eat it and I would eat a lot of it but afterwards I mean I would feel like all right I ate a big meal but then like within a few minutes I f- I felt pretty good like I and I always wondered like what it was about it like was it the spices was it the fermented you know teff flour injera so it, you know it was very interesting it wasn't the same feeling that i would get from eating say a big bowl of pasta at an italian restaurant or something like that so it's it's very different i think yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah. but i definitely feel it when i eat something like injera that's not been fermented long enough and that uh, if, if they if there is a lot of self-rising flour in the injera
0: eating ethiopian food for the first time I noticed that there's so many different um, interesting spices. Uh, it just had a different, <laughs> yeah, it's a different flavor. It's unlike any other food that I've ever had. It was different from Mediterranean food or Indian food. So what kind of spices are used in Ethiopian dishes? Well,
1: there are quite a few herbs that we use. The main one is called berber, and uh, berbera is um, a spice mixture of chili pepper with a lot of herbs like garlic, ginger, dried basil, you know, white and black. Pepper. There's a lot of herbs that we make to make the burberry with the chili pepper. So that is the most used spice and the, the spice that you must have to make an Ethiopian and Eritrean cuisine. Really, yeah. So that's the, yeah. You have to have that. That's just a, a must-have ingredient.
0: <laughs> I got the spices from you. So I use it at home. I, when I try my Ethiopian dishes out, I of course use it. Sometimes I even put it in when I bake tofu or something. I
1: marinate the tofu in the burberry spices so burberry is the main thing and um uh, butter, I would say, is another thing, and uh, it's seasoned butter, or you can clarify it, butter. We we put a lot of uh, seasonings or maybe herbs to season it, rather. So butter is another thing that makes it unique and taste different, maybe. But we don't use butter in every dishes, like the vegetable dishes. A lot of them, uh, we don't put butter a lot. It's not it's not all of them. There is a vegetarian dish called shuro. It's like made out of a chickpea. You, I'm not sure if you tried that one. When you came to my class, but uh, it's tasty, you know, a lot of flavor in it. Uh, but we use butter in that dish. But the rest of our vegetable dishes, we don't use uh, well, at least I don't use butter in that. And I'm sure a lot of people don't use butter in the vegetable dishes as well. So, uh, why barbare goes in a lot of dishes, the, the spice that I told you the first one. Butter doesn't go in all of the dishes. Mostly it goes in the meat dishes. But those are the two the two seasons that uh, we use to make it and there are other other spices too those are the main the main two spices that we use
0: you know you're just talking about not cooking butter with the vegetable dishes so i found eating at ethiopian restaurants so easy because for me not eating animal products i could pick many of the vegetable dishes and i knew that they didn't have any animal products in them um could you explain why there are so many dishes that do not contain meat or dairy in ethiopian cuisine
1: so the majority of Ethiopian Christians are Orthodox. In the Orthodox religion, there is fasting. You know what I'm talking about. So when they do fast, they don't eat any dairy product, and they fast. There is a lot of days that they that they fast. I'm not sure exactly the number of days, but for instance, Easter is coming now, right? So like 40 days prior to Easter, there is fasting. Like for 40 days, they fast. I'm not sure if it's exactly 40 days, but you know they fast for a number of days. So that means they don't eat any dairy product at all. So that means they will have to cook a lot of vegetable dishes. And it's not just the Easter prior to the Easter. Easter, but there is a lot of other holidays. There is a lot of saints' days that they fast, like Wednesday and Friday. Usually they fast, so because of that, they eat a lot of vegetables. So that is one of the reasons that we have a lot of vegetable dishes. And (laughs) if I may add, uh, meat is expensive. You know what I mean? You know, yes, we do eat meat, but it's it's very holidays and big occasions like that, and um, you know, you know, some other times you will eat too, but it's not affordable for a lot of people. People, not for all people, but for some people it's not. It's beyond uh, their, you know, everyday meals. If
0: you were home, how often might you eat meat
1: in a month? Some can afford it, so they will eat more meat. But if you can't afford it, you will eat less meat and more vegetables because vegetables are less expensive. And grain grain is another thing that's, you know, that a lot of people can afford grains like uh, the shuro or lentils, cabbage, you know, maybe spinach and, you know, you name it. Those kind of vegetables are more affordable for a regular people than meat. So I say Sunday usually is a good meal, a good dinner uh, rather, and maybe once or twice in a week, you know, you might not eat a whole dish of meat, but you will add some meat, some vegetables together, you cook it together so you can get the protein from the meat and things like that. So it really depends if you can afford it or not, I guess. So that's the reason. Uh, The main reason is, uh, you know, because there's a lot of uh, fasting and, you know, and it's, uh, it's affordable. People can afford uh, vegetables more than meat.
0: And so when people go to Arts Riot for these Ethiopian dinners, a lot of people would be there maybe for the first time having Ethiopian food. What kind of reactions do people have when they eat it for the first time? Oh,
1: (laughs) Um, well, some are, um, you know, I'm surprised, actually, some would say it's not too spicy, they, they say. It's like, oh, really? Because that's the tendency is um, that um, our food is spicy. So I'm really, you know, surprised to hear people saying it's not too spicy. Granted, we make it spicy, but maybe we we want everybody to enjoy the different sauces that we make. So it's not like we make it too spicy the way we, we do it exactly back home, but it, it's close to that. And I Surprised to hear from folks that are uh, saying no, this is not too spicy at all. But you know, but not everybody, not everybody. And and some um, um, like folks never tried the food. They're um, um, kind of um, surprised, maybe not surprised, but happy to 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 eat this food, to taste something different. Uh, you know, I hear a lot of folks enjoying it and just giving us a really positive feedback. So it's nice to hear that.
0: Going back to, like, the ingredients in the meal, can you find all the ingredients here in the U.S. that you would use usually to make your meals? And if you ever have trouble finding all the ingredients, have you had to substitute any ingredients or change any way that you cook because you were in, you know, the U.S. and not back home?
1: We, in Vermont, uh, no. No. <laughs> But um, in the big cities like Montreal, Boston, and D.C., and I'm sure New York City as well, you will be able to find uh, ISIS. There because there are a lot of restaurants and uh, stores. Fortunately for me, is whenever my husband goes to Ethiopia, he will bring me enough spices to last me uh, for some time. And I am fortunate enough that when his brother, who is um, an Ethiopian Airlines captain, when he flies to DC, he will bring me some uh, spices. So I have been, uh, I haven't had uh, a problem not having, you know, enough to last me for some time, you know what I mean?
0: Exactly, so it's really about the spices that's really important. Yeah, of
1: course, of course, that's what makes it authentic.
0: It's the Burberry spices and it's also the Shiro spices with the ground up chickpeas, right? You bet,
1: you bet, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So, but there are, there are stores here too. Like I said, the big cities, they have them. And if you Google it online, Ethiopian spice or Ethiopian stores, you know, yeah, you will be surprised how many places that they sell all these uh, ingredients. You know what I mean?
0: I've noticed that there are a couple stores that do have the little canisters of Burberry spices. Have you ever seen those before?
1: We went for a drive with my family, and I believe it was oh, it actually it was actually in Shelburne town. Uh, there is a little store there, and they had some kind of spices. Um I'm not sure if it was berbera now. I, i'm forgetting if it was Berbera or something else, but they did have some little things, Ethiopian spice i didn't I didn't buy one, but I was surprised to see it. I have not seen it anywhere else, so I'm not sure um where was this uh, that you're talking about that you're referring to.
0: There's some in the healthy living market. Uh, the co-op might have it too. Um, I, I was just kind of curious if uh, what you thought of the spices that you picked up, do you think it, they were pretty authentic, like a good mix? Or you know, do you think it would be uh, different than what you're used to?
1: To tell you the truth, I didn't buy, so I would not know. You really have to have a taste of it, exactly. But from seeing it, from just looking at it, you would not know. I, I couldn't tell, I couldn't tell, I'm not uh, that good. My mom probably
0: could. I'm really interested in the origins of of certain dishes and how they were cooked and prepared in their country of origin. I know sometimes it's common to cook with canola oil here in the US. And then you also were talking about um, clarified butter. And so traditionally, do you think canola oil would be used back at home? Or um, would there be a different kind of oil or fat used in in different dishes?
1: tell you this truth. I'm not sure. I don't know. I know we use oil but as far as butter, we use this clarified butter that I was explaining earlier for the meat part. A lot of our meat, uh, we put butter. You might start out cooking it with oil but uh, before the end, you will put butter to make it really to give it that flavor uh, and to make it uh, authentic only the yeah.
0: clarified butter it wouldn't be anything else like sometimes people have uh, you know different animal fats and things like that that they use in traditional dishes would it be anything like that or just the butter
1: um no i think from what I know I don't know um, you know the rest of other regions of the world what kind of butter they use but what I know when you use butter you have to season it um, I could say most people season their butter before they use it but I can't be I can't be certain that everybody clarified their butter I'm pretty sure they do season it somehow they might not use uh, the same seasons seasoning that that i use that we use from where i am from you know what i mean but that we do clarify the butter and that's really what makes it what gives it that uh, that authentic taste
0: yeah it's always something i'm interested in because you know these days there's a lot of different kinds of oils that people are cooking with and some are good and some are not so good and you know i just kind of am am
1: interested we use olive oil but um Uh, that's mostly for salad, maybe for other things. And I don't know if there is different types of oils, to tell you the truth. It might be just one kind of oil that we have. We might have uh, sesame oil. There is. Uh, I don't know if that's used for cooking, maybe. But I know we use a lot of uh, oil for our uh, the vegetable cooking. And then we start out with the oil for the meat. But, you know, like I said, we add butter at the end. If the injera that I was talking about. I wanted to say that injera is um, stable for those two countries, only those two countries, Ethiopia and Eritrea. It is like the heckle of the meal. You have to have that to serve the food. You have to have that uh, for lunch and for dinner without the injera. It's not a meal. Yeah, I mean, you know, we do some other things, rice and stuff, you know, maybe pasta and things like that. But the traditional Ethiopian food and Eritrean food. Uh, is injera with different sauces. I'm sure you've seen it at, at you know, the way we bring it out to the our customers is, you know, variety of sauces with the big platter, injera at the bottom and things like that. So colorful variety of things. So it's uh, very attractive to see it mm-hmm. <laughs> and tasty to eat it too, I have to say. <laughs>
0: And I loved how the roasted potatoes and roasted carrots and things on top, that's a new touch that I I haven't seen anywhere else. So that's really Ah, nice. Ah,
1: that's good. Yeah, it's a good uh, addition to our um, uh, dishes that we did because we thought maybe kids could um, enjoy that because it, it has flavor, but it's not spicy per se so we thought that would be good if they can't eat you know the the, the other vegetables and then the spicy meat
0: yeah i was just thinking like if somebody was like oh this is i don't know about this ethiopian food but i'll i'll have the potato wedges in the middle um you know that, <laughs> helpful
1: so you went to uh last
0: one yes i did oh it was great did you go with your husband I, I did yes we went i think i saw mulu i didn't get a chance to say hello i i haven't met her really in person but it, it seemed like it, it was probably her but was she in the back was she the only one preparing everything and putting everything together or are there people that were
1: helping her out yeah as you know i was out on vacation she had she had help i'm sure she had enough help but her sister was there to help her as well which she she always does she always helps us she's uh, she's a wonderful person and a very hard uh, hard-working lady so but because i was out i tried provided her with uh, plenty of help to uh, to make it happen, I guess.
0: It seemed like she yeah. was very relaxed. I think I saw her come out just to say hello to somebody or something. She, she seemed really relaxed.
1: That's good to hear. I haven't actually uh, spoken to her since we came back. Um, we missed on the phone uh, twice, I, I believe. I heard it through my friend, John, actually, who was there. And uh, she said, everything looks good. They had a lot of people, too. It was a good turnout, so that was good.
0: Are there many people from Eritrea or Ethiopia here in
1: Vermont? Very few. Yeah, very few. I would say, I don't know anywhere between 10 to 12 family, maybe. Just a little over 10 family, maybe. We try to get together during holidays. You know, everybody's busy, but we try, um, like, Christmas. You know, Ethiopian Christmas is, like, two weeks after the American Christmas. So we try together in our holidays. Like, Easter, our Easter is coming up. Uh, This year is, I believe, five weeks after uh, American Easter. So it's very unusual this year. It's usually two weeks after, maybe sometimes three, but usually two weeks. But this time it's five weeks after uh, American Easter. So not every time we make it, but we try our best to get together. And then summer, we get together and, you know, celebrations of our children as well. Graduation and uh, this and that. Yes, but it's a very small community.
0: And how do people know each other from the community? Like if I were from Ethiopia and I just came here, how might I find other Ethiopians?
1: it's a small town you know you ask someone and somehow that person will know someone that knows the community here so it's you know word by mouth there are new family that came recently we've heard we haven't met them yet so we're trying to locate them but <laughs> yeah so it's word my mouth i guess uh, Somebody knows someone, the friend or things like that. So that's how you meet. You say
0: you uh, celebrate your holidays at different times. Is there a church that you can attend that follows that particular calendar?
1: There, there is a church that uh, the Orthodox folks go whenever they the priest comes from Montreal. There is Apparently there is this uh, priest, which I don't think I have met, or maybe I didn't meet him once. But anyway, I'm not um, an Orthodox, so I don't attend that church. I go to a different church. But there is a church that Orthodox, took and Eritrean, go to when the priest comes from Montreal. So is it similar
0: yeah. to like a, a Greek Orthodox kind of a church, or is it a little bit different?
1: Yeah, similar. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: If people are interested in going to an Ethiopian dinner at Arts Riot, how would they do that? How could they go about doing that?
1: You could actually uh, go online and find out Arts Riot. Come, and then we will be on their calendar on a monthly basis. So, like now, uh, March 27, we're on their calendar. Uh, April 24th, uh, we're on there. So, we try to stay consistent by taking the last Sunday of the month. It doesn't always happen that way, but that's what we're trying to shoot. So far, we have had what, how many Sundays, the last Sunday of the month? But they can Google our thread. Right? And then we write there on their calendar.
0: If listeners aren't familiar with Arts Ride, it's a really nice place because it's got the, the artwork everywhere. It's a very unique place to, to be, so
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it's good. You know, they do a lot of things. They host community events and that uh, they really facilitate their place to many different occasions. So that's something good thing that they do beside other things to let other people know about them and to kind of host community events there, you know, things like that. They're interested in that too. They can reach out to them because, you know, it's really good uh, business for them as well.
0: If I was interested in having an event, um and having it catered by you. Are you interested in catering?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what we've been doing, too, with uh, my friend Mulu. And uh, how we do it is we work with Right so we can use their, their commercial kitchen and to prepare our food there and then deliver to whoever whoever is interested. So we've been doing a little catering on the site. When we're not doing the event at Right and when people, especially this holiday starting from October, November, I've been really busy catering here. And catering there, and the same thing with Mulu as well. And you know, when there is a big, big catering, we uh, work together. Yeah, we work together. So that's been—it's been going pretty good. It's a steady thing. You know, it's not—it's not like you do it every week. But when it comes, it all comes at the same time. <laughs> but yeah, we will be very happy to cater small parties. You know, any size really.
0: Yeah, you're used to two hundred plus yeah. <laughs> crowds. <laughs> right. so you can handle it. Exactly. <laughs> And how can people contact you if you, if they're interested in catering? You
1: could um, give them my cell phone, Facebook address, so they, they could uh, shoot us an email, uh, uh, you know, a message there maybe. Our address is, um, you know, www, of course, that facebook.com slash three letters are capital, B-T-V, all capital, Ethiopian. E-T-H-I-O-P-I-A-N. So if they go there and send us a message, you know, I regularly check uh, my Facebook messages and all that. And then we post uh, our upcoming events, whether it's Arts Ride or the South, the North, and uh, Studio. I uh, post it there, so they can follow us. They can follow us there. That would be good too. Eight zero two five seven eight six eight five zero.
0: Thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. Well, Amy,
1: thank you for your interest. So we we appreciate that.
0: You just heard the Vegemont series, part three of the Holistic Pilgrimage podcast with Amy Lynn, interviewing Alganesh Michael, an Ethiopian chef based in the Burlington, Vermont area. If you enjoyed the program, please click subscribe and share with your friends on Facebook and other social media outlets. Your help in spreading the word is very much appreciated. Please go to www.holisticpilgrimage.com to enjoy other podcasts, the blog, and more information about health coaching.